Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Hello, I am Amy Tung, the naturalist at Holden Village. Welcome to day three of the Naturalist Virtual Program. If you read day one and day two, you've arrived virtually at Holden Village without physically traveling here. That's wonderful and tough all at the same time. I realize how much you are missing by not being here in person. My hope is that you will be able to come here someday soon and see it for yourself. This is a pale substitute, but until then, please enjoy our virtual program. Since Holden is in the heart of the Okanagan-Wenatchee National Park and is a gateway to the Glacier Peak Wilderness Area, we're surrounded by pristine natural landscapes. This area has known its share of human disturbances, but much of it has been undisturbed by human intervention for centuries. We have much to learn about the native plants here. I would like to apply this to you where you are. I'm passionate about using native plants in our home and urban landscapes as much as possible. What are native plants and why are they worth talking about? Well, according to the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, a native plant is defined as a plant that is part of the balance of nature that's developed over hundreds or thousands of years in a particular region or ecosystem. So note that the word native always is used with a geographic qualifier. So that's to say native to New England, for example. Only plants found in this country before European settlement are considered to be native to the United States. Now this is a good definition, but it's lacking the human element, which is important. So I give you another definition, which is from the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Foundation. Quote, native plants should be defined as those that have evolved and adapted to a specific location and have remained genetically unaltered by humans, unquote. So that being said, a species can be native to the United States, but not native to a specific state, or native to a state, but not native to a particular area within that state. By this line of reasoning, all species are native to planet Earth, but may be non-native to any particular place on the planet. Of course, there's genetic altering going on to create new species all the time for particular characteristics, such as larger blooms or shorter stature or more prolific fruiting. But a plant that is considered native if it has occurred naturally in a particular region, ecosystem, or habitat, is without human introduction or influence. So why is this important to even talk about? Well, native plants provide shelter and food for wildlife, and they support pollinators. Native plants attract a variety of birds, butterflies, and other wildlife by providing diverse habitats and food sources. The economic benefits of native plants can also be measured against the damage that certain non-native plants do. 
exotic plants that evolved in other parts of the world or were cultivated by humans into forms that don't exist in nature do not support wildlife as well as native plants. According to the Audubon Society, over the past century, urbanization has taken intact, ecologically productive land and fragmented and transformed it with lawns and exotic ornamental plants. The continental U.S. lost a staggering 150 million acres of habitat and farmland to urban sprawl. And that trend isn't slowing. The modern obsession with highly manicured, perfect lawns alone has created a green monoculture carpet across the country that covers over 40 million acres. The human-dominated landscape no longer supports functioning ecosystems, and the remaining isolated natural areas are not large enough to support wildlife. Using native plants, those that occur naturally in that region, support life in that region. They support the local wildlife, including birds and people. Without them and the insects that co-evolved with them, local birds cannot survive. For example, research by U.S. entomologist Doug Ptolemy has shown that native oak trees support over 500 species of caterpillars, whereas ginkgos, which are commonly planted landscape trees from Asia, host only five species of caterpillars. It takes 6,000 caterpillars to raise one brood of chickadees. That's a significant difference. Plenty of food from the native oak and little to none from the ginkgos for those baby birds. Most of us are familiar with the plight of the monarch butterfly. This is a prime example of insects needing a particular plant to survive. The caterpillars must feed on milkweed plants. When there aren't any milkweed, the monarchs don't survive. There's been a movement to plant milkweeds to help this fragile system. There are other types of milkweed besides the common milkweed that work just beautifully in a homeowner's garden. Asclepias tuberosa, commonly called butterfly weed, is a good choice for a perennial garden. It's not invasive, but it feeds the monarch caterpillars. It requires sun and has beautiful orange flowers. This is just one example of an insect that we know because of its beauty and popularity, but it's not alone in its specificity to certain plants. Many other insects need a specific host for food and habitat, and when that's missing, the population declines, making less food for the birds and mammals in that area. The native insects have native predators. The population of predators will grow to feed on the population of insects. So this system of checks and balances can keep populations in balance. Unfortunately, most of the landscape plants available in nurseries are alien species from other countries. These exotic plants not only sever the food web, but many have become invasive pests out-competing native species, and degrading habitat in remaining natural areas. Landscaping choices have meaningful effects on the population of birds and the insects that they need to survive. The bottom line is this. Homeowners, landscapers, and policymakers can benefit birds and other wildlife by simply selecting native plants 
when making their landscaping decisions. To do your part, you can use Audubon Society's website to discover native plants in your area and which types of birds they'll attract. And I've included the link for you. I worked at a retail nursery in Michigan and we were members of a retail native plant program. So we not only carried natives, but we also refused to sell invasive species. People came to our store and specifically shopped for native plants. I encourage you to seek out those places where you live and frequent them. Ask the employees about the choices available. There are also many online references, such as the Washington Native Plant Society. You can search out those in your state and you'll find hardy plants for your growing zone. Check out your local conservation district plant sales. They most likely occur every spring in your area. Some require advanced orders, so you might need to do your homework. There are many benefits to choosing native plants. One is that they're low maintenance. Once they're established, the plants generally require little maintenance because they're adapted to the climate and the growing conditions. Beauty is another benefit. Many native plants offer beautiful showy flowers, produce abundant colorful fruits and seeds, and brilliant seasonal changes in colors from the pale thin green of early spring to the vibrant yellows and reds of autumn. Another benefit is they provide healthy places for people. Lawns and the accompanying bark mulched landscapes are notorious for requiring profuse amounts of artificial fertilizers and synthetic chemical pesticides and herbicides. The traditional suburban lawn on average has 10 times more chemical pesticides per acre than farmland. So by choosing native plants for your landscaping, you're not only helping wildlife, but you're creating a healthier place for yourself, your family, and your community. Now I'm not suggesting that you completely do away with any lawn in your yard. I'm a mother of three and we loved having space to run and kick a ball but we did limit the chemical applications and I chose native plants in the landscape and allowed for habitats in the buffer zones. Another benefit for choosing natives is they are helping our climate. Landscaping with native plants can combat climate change. In addition to the reduced noise and carbon pollution from lawnmowers, many native plants, especially long-living trees like oaks and maples, are effective in storing the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide. Native plants conserve water. Native plants are adapted to the local environment conditions and they require far less water, saving time, money, and perhaps the most valuable natural resource of water. Native plants also support wildlife. In addition to providing vital habitat for birds, many other species of wildlife benefit as well. The colorful array of butterflies and moths, including the iconic monarch, the swallowtails, tortoise shells, beautiful blues, are all dependent on very specific native plant species. Native plants provide nectar for pollinators, including hummingbirds, native bees, butterflies, moths, and bats. They provide protective shelter for many mammals. The native nuts, seeds, and fruits produced by these plants offer essential food for all forms of wildlife. It's important to choose the right plant for the right place. If plants grow naturally in full sun and well-drained soil, then 
that's the kind of place you should put them in your yard. Conversely, if plants in the wild are woodland types that live in filtered light or an organic soil, then they should have those conditions in your yard. You can consult with university extension agents or other landscape professionals at a reputable business in your area. I don't recommend the big box store garden centers for this expertise. So it's one thing to choose native plants when you want to create a new garden bed or to select for a new planting. But there is a flip side of this, and that is the eradication of invasive species already existing in the landscape. You may already have plants that would be best removed if they're considered invasive. So I talked about the garden center where I worked in Michigan. They partner with the local conservation district who had an invasive species eradication program. So that would be a source for you to check out in your area. The conservation district wanted to eradicate the invasive Berberus thumbergii, which is commonly known as Japanese barberry. They were noticing that the barberry plants occurred in the wild, native habitats, and they were out-competing the natives and becoming aggressive. So they launched a campaign to reward people with a $5 coupon towards the purchase of a native plant for every barberry plant that they dug up and brought into our nursery. It created incentive and was a successful program. So I encourage you to check with your local conservation district for similar incentive programs and volunteer opportunities for invasive eradication. Please check out my videos in the virtual programs for days four and five. I will be highlighting a couple of my favorite plants that grow near Holden Village, but they also grew in Michigan where I previously lived, so they may be something to consider for your own landscape, whether you live in Washington or the Midwest or elsewhere. There are many wonderful choices of native plants. I believe that gardening is a healthy option for all ages, genders, and walks of life. So if you live in an urban setting, you may be able to do a patio garden or container garden or look for a community garden near you and join that. I was a master gardener in Michigan and there was an endless supply of volunteer opportunities to grow and work in my community. If you have children in your life in some fashion, I encourage you to bring them alongside you in your efforts to choose natives and eradicate invasive species from your yard or community. Have them work with you to catch the enthusiasm for getting their hands dirty. You may wonder, how do I eradicate invasive species? Well, it's good to educate yourself on what is invasive and choose not to plant those in your yard or community. You can ask professionals in the conservation district where you live or extension agents. Weed relentlessly, trying to get all the roots and then mulch to smother the plants from returning. I worked in a botanic garden in Michigan focused on native plants using organic gardening methods, so we didn't use harmful chemicals to rid the weeds. The land had previously been a farm, so we had an invasive bindweed problem where we planted new natives in a pollinator garden. I spent hours digging the plants from the roots, then applied newspaper and covered with wood chips to suppress the new growth. I kept a close watch and weeded the new starts before they could get established. Timing is important to weed from the invasives before they go to seed. They can be spread by wind or animals. 
Being informed on what plants are invasive is important, and then don't plant the listed thugs. Volunteer to pull weeds in your city, county, and state parks. Together we can make a positive difference, one weed at a time, year after year. I've included some helpful links for future education. You can research invasives for your own state if you're not a Washington resident. Thank you for doing your part. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.